Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the editor of Global Capital. The podcast is back from its summer holidays and we're raring to discuss each week the most interesting stories from the capital markets. And as ever, if you want to read more about what we're talking about today, please go to globalcapital.com. Furthermore, if you want to comment on what we're talking about today, please email in to podcast at globalcapital.com. We'd love to hear from you. This week, we're looking at the rampant amount of hiring going on in investment banks as they try to load up on junior staff to cope with wave after wave of deals. A whole host of factors has led to junior bankers, that is to say those with up to maybe four or five years experience, being in hot demand. US banks are said to be lifting juniors out of European rivals, paying up to an extra 30 to 50% over what they earn to secure their services. And we may not be talking about the mega money superstars running the desks here, but we are talking about en masse, the hod carriers and heavy lifters that keep the cogs turning and without whom things would surely grind to a halt pretty swiftly. There are a number of reasons for this shortage, ranging from the wild upswing in capital markets business to be done as the result of the pandemic, to junior bankers having many more viable career alternatives once they have cut their teeth than they ever used to have. Joining me to talk about this and who is on the move, what they're making and where they might end up is Aidan Gregory, our Deputy Equities Editor, who wrote a fascinating piece recently covering this very topic. Hi Aidan, thanks for joining us for this edition of the podcast. I wonder, first of all, if you could tell us what's driving this glut of junior banker hiring. Yeah, so there's a real frenzy for junior staff in investment banks at the moment and the reason the main reasons why are basically because going into the going into this crisis lots of banks were quite understaffed or under allocating resources to certain areas of the capital markets have after sort of dec- after a decade of retrenchment since the financial crisis lots of banks pulled back in investment banking or focused on other more stable and profitable areas like wealth management and, and private banking. And then and then suddenly these same banks now during the pandemic have had to deal with a massive uplift in, in business. Uh, and it's been particularly acute in equity capital markets. I mean, last year, the global ACM volumes were uh, broke the all-time record. And this year so far, over a trillion dollars has been raised, which is above the same period that was raised in, in 2020. So you've got kind of the perfect storm of kind of lower lower staffing levels, restructurings, and then suddenly a, a kind of massive uplift and incredibly profitable work for, for investment banks, which junior staff typically have to have to pick up the slack on. So the, the result is, you know, an acute shortage of, of experienced equity capital markets bankers. At junior level. Now, a source told me recently that um, his bank, which is a pretty pretty major European bank, um, that they've been losing staff to US banks in droves. Now, it's no secret that US banks pay the best. Um, he was saying that they're paying up to 30 to 50% more over what these staff were earning to take them on, and his bank simply couldn't cope with that and couldn't compete with it. Uh, does that sort of pick up uh tally with what you've heard 
And are there any other areas of the markets where, in particular, where this is happening? Yeah, of course. I mean, the uh, the American banks dominate in equity capital markets. I mean, you literally have even in even in EMEA, you have the top five American banks, and then you have the best of the Europeans following. Uh, and they've always done this, but it, it, again, it's become even more acute during the pandemic. But the U.S. banks have lost plenty of juniors too, for various reasons, like sort of to other industries or just quit, quit completely uh, due to due to burnout. Well, let's talk about that. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Because I think I think it's fair to say now that a talented uh, banker with a few years experience has many more um, career options that he might consider as prestigious or if not more so than he would uh, before. Um, I think probably we're talking about career paths into private equity, uh, asset management on the buy side, as well as fintech startups and, um, you know, bigger technology companies. Is that is that tallying with what you heard? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the buy side jobs have always been coveted by investment bankers. Uh, in fact, they've probably never been more coveted now than they ever have been before in the past. Like a career in investment banking has no longer sort of got seen as as a golden as a golden ticket to wealth in the same way that it perhaps would have been before. Uh, the, the buy side jobs in particular, I mean, they're they're coveted for the reasons that they tend to have slightly less insane working hours, yet while still being incredibly well paid. And there are also a lot fewer. There are generally a lot fewer seats at these buy side firms than there are. In investment banks, which makes these jobs quite scarce. So it's not it's not just the buy side that's peeling away staff from investment banks. I mean, the fintech sector's extremely hot right now, particularly in London, but also elsewhere in Europe. I mean, Berlin has a very vibrant startup scene, and these jobs generally offer a much sort much uh, better work life balance for their for their staff. But also the re- the upside rewards of joining some of these companies are tremendous. If you can land yourself at the right startup that's potentially a, a candidate to to go public, I guess we're talking there about um, an equity stake, which is, you know, if it works out, is going to eclipse any 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 bank bonus. I think I think to your point earlier, um, you said about um, buy side jobs always being coveted. I I don't know if that was necessarily true in the same way years ago i think that you know people always wanted to go all the best and the brightest always wanted to go and work at hedge funds where you were sort of unfettered you didn't have clients to worry about in the same way uh and the money was fantastic and you could you know cruise into a townhouse in mayfair to work rather than schlepping into the city i suppose if that's uh what people care about um but i think if we take a look at some of the uh numbers around those career alternatives it's startling just how many more opportunities there are than there were and i guess the economics of it is just fundamentally different now i think back to say the early to mid 2000s and a career on the buy side apart from the hedge fund choice a career on the buy side was a bit of a sort of step down like the money wasn't necessarily as good the conditions were obviously like a bit more gentle and it was a bit of a um, I don't want to say retirement trade, but it wasn't seen with quite the verve I think it probably is now. I mean, if we look at the numbers, 
uh, I did a bit digging around, and according to McKinsey, there were, let's say, 20 years ago, there were about 4,000 hedge funds. There's just under 9,000 now, so they've doubled. Um, private equity firms, 20 years ago, there were just under 2,000 of them. A decade ago, there were around 4,000, and now there's around 8,000, so that's grown hugely. And you've got to think, you know, every time there's one of those, they need new jobs. And the, the, the inexorable rise of private equity uh, has sort of transformed the the finance finance industry. I mean, these are firms yeah, that have raised absolutely. record Loads amounts of, of management. Yeah, these are firms that have raised record amounts of dry powder, which they now need to deploy. And all the banks fall over themselves to do business with all these private equity houses. And they've got so many assets. And it's now seen as being more prestigious than investment banking to join firms some of the top private equity firms. And I think if we look at the asset management industry as well, similar assets under management globally, $37 trillion in 2004. Now, no doubt, thanks in part, or probably even a lot to QE, that industry now manages over $110 trillion of assets. Uh, so everywhere, these jobs are, well, those jobs in those industries must be more of them and they must be better paid. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at the sort of secular changes in the industry too, uh, those alternative businesses just have better business models for someone ambitious. If you take classic investment banking, for example, like let's take your M&A business, the bank will make or was making then like 1% on a deal. It's still making 1% on a deal now. And it has to keep finding new deals to keep making that 1%. They're doing a lot of those deals now on behalf of or advising uh, sponsors and private equity companies. From private equities companies' point of view, they show up, they do their work at the beginning, but then every year they earn 2% from the same asset and then a ton more when they exit the position as well. So it just seems a, a bit of a no-brainer that that will be a better better way of earning money than constantly having to chase deals and clients. Um, I think if you look at trading too, then banks' advantage used to be that they used to sit in the middle and collate all this information around flows, and that was their that was their their benefit. The I think that tech and regulation has caught up with them, and firms like hedge funds and brokers are now much better collectors of data, which is what provides all the kind of advantage now in trading. Um, and then finally, if you take like, I guess, I guess where this doesn't necessarily apply as much is in our our world, the capital markets bit, right? Because that's at its heart, that's a business that's about relationships, and it's very hard to automate. So I suppose it's no wonder then that when there's an upswing in capital markets activity, you just need bodies on the ground to do it. And I guess that's what we're seeing here. The upside rewards from joining a successful startup can be tremendous, uh, beyond the wildest dreams of of, of most people in, in some cases. Uh, a good example recently was that Revolut turned over turned over seventy of its UK staff into into millionaires after its latest latest financing round. It's now the most valued startup based in based in London, and bankers are obviously very high paid. But if you can if you can end up with an equity stake in a successful company, it just makes all kind of bankers' bonuses pale in in comparison to the wealth and rewards that are on offer. And that while the pay at these some of these startups may not be as big as 
it is in investment banks, the, the upside rewards are potentially much, much greater. So I suppose, I mean, it does beg the question, why, why would you stay in an investment bank, right? Because, uh, you know, I guess there are many good reasons for good banks to stay. Uh, but chief among them must be because you love client work. And a lot of people don't get a buzz out of endless market update calls, flying all over the rail to get shouted at, and then missing the one mandate that that client dishes out every five years just so they can fly home and get shouted at by their boss. Um, it doesn't, all of a sudden, doesn't seem like a particular, particularly exciting career option to people who don't like that lifestyle or don't really value client interaction, I suppose. Um, I guess it doesn't, you know, I must apply less in capital markets because that is an inherently client facing business, isn't it? Yeah, I guess some it really does work for some people. Uh, I guess you have to love going out there and meeting people and fostering these relationships with clients. Uh, their working conditions are obviously very tough, uh, but but you do you do still get like, handsomely rewarded for it. Uh, most of, most of these junior investment bankers earn now earn more than most of the general population will probably ever earn in their lives at some point. And there's certainly no shortage of of takers for a career in investment banking at entry level. I mean, all the banks still raise, um, all the banks still get tens of thousands of of graduate applications every single year. Yeah, that's right. And that, I think that's an important point to make, isn't it? This is an acute shortage of people that don't have Oh, sorry, it's an acute shortage of people with the experience to basically plug in and play straight away. People that can do deals, understand how the systems work and what's needed. You know, these are people that can drop in straight away and start working in the business. It's not as if there's a secular move away from investment banking. I think that's fair, isn't it, Aidan? Yeah, no, def- definitely not. I mean, there's a new generation of, of junior graduate trainee bankers who are currently joining firms now this month which should help alleviate some of the strain on on these teams but the the real sort of bidding war and and shortage is for uh, experienced staff probably in their like, sort of mid mid to late 20s or early 30s with with a decent amount of of experience under their belt and that's where sources are telling us that the real sort of acute shortage is it's funny because I think like a few years ago, we would have said exactly that cohort of people were in the worst position because they'd suddenly joined this over-regulated industry and the good times had gone and all the rest of it. And and now here they are uh, being, being bid to the moon um, to, to join rivals left, right and centre. Um, I wonder also, I mean, I made a similar point on a podcast we did a couple of weeks ago about hiring um new bankers so trainee bankers and graduates and such like uh and about paying salaries um it's interesting that these guys are and and women obviously are getting um these 30 percent, 50 percent pickups i wonder i mean there's a cynical side of me that just thinks what they're getting is the amount that was budgeted for them has stayed the same but they're just getting more upfront in salary rather than waiting to get it as their bonus later in the year. So I do wonder if it's really costing the banks any more overall, but um, perhaps someone can email in to, uh, to correct me if I'm wrong. It's often the case in these large corporations that one hand with one hand giveth and the other taketh away. But what these banks are doing is raising their, raising their fixed costs quite significantly by raising, raising salaries, whereas bonuses obviously aren't treated 
in the same way. But the, these increases are being billed as a meaningful increase in pay for the juniors. But you do have to wonder whether throwing more money at overworked and stressed out young bankers is necessarily the solution to the problem without any broader cultural changes in the industry. Well, indeed. Um, and, I, and I wonder what we're storing up uh, for the future. Uh, what have what have some of the more uh, senior and experienced bankers told you about uh, where they see all this heading? So senior sources in the industry who have been around for like many crises and periods of restructuring in the past, such as after the dot-com boom or after the financial crisis in 2008. They, although they, they feel that they have no choice but to raise salaries to attract try and attract the best people like they have to keep pace of all the competitors and they feel compelled to do it but the 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 paradox is that while while they're all doing it and they all feel like they have no choice they they all seem to think it's a bad it's it's a bad idea ultimately or that it's storing up problems for the for the future when the next downturn hits for the time being i mean the pipeline of business and equity capital markets is phenomenal i mean we even even uh bankers who've been around for like 10 20 30 years in 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 the markets haven't seen an ipo pipeline that's that's this stacked so for the time being it does make sense to staff up and increase pay but there's the fear that when the next downturn hits it will make the inevitable restructuring more brutal and and far-reaching than it otherwise would have been because of the amount of that banks are going to have to increase their fixed costs. And I, and I suppose that, uh, I mean, when that day of reckoning comes, who knows? There's no sign of the the uh, equity market abating in its level of issuance for now. Uh, and certainly in credit markets, well, debt seems to be permanently recycled to ever, ever higher levels. So, uh, so at least for now, uh, that day seems some way off. When it does come, of course, as we've discussed, there are now many more uh, attractive exit routes for those who find themselves on the scrap heap. So it's hard to see an end to the battle for junior talent in sight, really. I mean, let's just take a look at some of those numbers again. Exponentially more jobs in private equity and hedge funds and, uh, you know, the other big sort of competitors for, for banking staff than there ever were. Just the proliferation of firms and assets under management must surely mean there are four, eight times as many jobs as there ever were, and those jobs are better paid and more prestigious. Nevertheless, capital markets business needs doing, and it needs people to do it. So it's hard to know how banks will be able to get through that without having bodies on the ground. Surely over time, the new cohorts of bankers that join will staff up, and that will add to the uh, add to the general level of skills and knowledge available. But uh, for now... If you're a junior banker, get a bit away. Thanks to Aidan for joining me and to Gerald Hayes, our producer, for editing this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. It's free and a new episode is out every Friday afternoon, which we publish to all the major platforms. So if you just go onto any of them and search for Global Capital, you should find us. Also, don't forget to leave a glowing five-star review for us. It helps people to find the podcast who might also enjoy it. We'll be back with more from the capital markets next week. And in the meantime... If you want to get in touch, and please do, just email us at podcast at globalcapital.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.